Uh, I do want to claim uh, the words and promise of Jesus in Acts 1, 8, when he said, we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Uh, that can be whether we are together in person or together in such a way as uh, digitally here. So um, I claim that for us. Let us uh, strive to be witnesses. Um, I find it interesting that in the midst of our walk through the Apostles' Creed together, that we find ourselves in this particular spot, on this particular week, addressing the particular line in the Creed, we or I believe in the forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't stop there, brothers and sisters. If you remember last Sunday, the statement addressed from the pulpit by Buzzy was the line, I believe, in the communion of saints. Now, did you happen to see that he gave that sermon on the weekend that, we, uh, that Christians have traditionally celebrated All Saints Day? Uh, the weekend was also uh, the weekend where those of Protestant heritage marked the very day Martin Luther called a dialogue about significant, significant doctrinal issues and the Reformation was begun. I don't know if you caught that or not, but that seems rather interesting. So last week we had the communion of saints. We had our interesting week steeped in politics, still steeped in politics, and now we are looking at the concept of the forgiveness of sins. Do you suppose that's an accident? We had this series planned months ago. Each of the four of us that teaches up front looks at the planned schedule and the topics, and we decide, we all decide whether the rotation works for us. We make suggestions of changes and adjustments as needed, and yet here we are. Last week we heard about what it means for us as saints, those followers of Christ, to be in relationship in communion with each other. And this week we are looking at what the forgiveness of sins means. I don't think this was an accident. Either that or it was a happy one. But then this final last list of beliefs I realized just this week is also not accidental. The sequence is intentional, but I'll go into that a little bit later. For now, let's look at the forgiveness of sins. In 1947, there occurred an accidental but powerful meeting. About this meeting, uh, the author wrote, But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by the asking? 
It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men your trespasses, their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No matter what the physical scars, those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there, I st- and still I stood there, with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's uh, Corey Ten Boom's account of meeting the guard that she held responsible for the death of her sister. The forgiveness of sins. As I was contemplating uh, this topic in the last few weeks since my last sermon, I couldn't escape what I can only conclude as two aspects of this belief in the forgiveness of sins. Now, these aspects or characteristics aren't everything there is about understanding the forgiveness of sins. I'd be foolish to think that I had the complete explanation here, but I think these two parts are appropriate for this moment we find ourselves in. They are two sides of the same coin regarding forgiveness. And I hope they will help us better understand the true meaning of this belief. And some of it may not be easy to face. What I want to do this morning is look at what I'm calling the light or easy side of forgiveness and then the heavy, hard side of forgiveness. And I will delve into the passage as I do that. The light or easy side of forgiveness is what I think prevails in our culture as far as how we think about looking past or over someone's transgressions. I think this has a lot to do with how we would want to be treated were we to be the one on the side of doing the transgressing. We want, to be, we want it to be no big deal. We want the easy pass so we can get on with life and forget about the bad stuff. Let's not dwell on the past. If we can get past it, then life will be better. 
We usually associate this with giving apologies, saying I'm sorry, or things like that. Those are valuable words. I don't want to miscommunicate there, especially when you're a parent or you're a kid. Now, I don't want you to think that because I'm calling this light or easy forgiveness, that I'm thinking it is less valuable than the heavy and hard forgiveness. Far from it. I think if we look at this closer, we can see it has something to teach us about ourselves, our world, and our relationship with God. There is something not only true in light forgiveness, but also we want there to be something true about light forgiveness or easy forgiveness because we all have been on the side of the oops. We have all sinned, and as Romans 3.23 says, fallen short of the glory of God. So, answer this question. How many of you want to get the judgment you deserve? If there is no such thing as grace, grace being getting what you don't deserve, and you actually receive the judgment and punishment you deserve, do you want that? Suppose there was no grace, and you received the righteous judgment that you deserve. If any of you answered yes, uh, I do not want to get what I deserve, then I think uh, that I do want to get what I deserve, then I think you might be lying. Or you might be slightly masochistic. We desire forgiveness, and we want the receiving end of that forgiveness, the forgiveness given. We want that. There is nothing necessarily wrong with this. It is true. We all want the easy forgiveness. I think a cultural example of this is our desire to be accepted, the base feeling of just being accepted for who we are. It's rampant throughout our culture, whether gender, ethnicity, class, status. You pick your tribe, pick your nation, pick your tongue. We are all looking to be accepted for who we are, where we are. Now, why would we pursue acceptance if we thought we lived up to the eternal standard that drives us towards it? If we actually were living up to it, we wouldn't need acceptance. If we actually felt met, met that. But we say, accept me for who I am. Because something in this world isn't measuring up. And we blame all sorts of things here. Starting with others. It's easy to do that. Or we blame institutions or structures. We blame groups. Again, pick your tribe, pick your nation, pick your tongue. And in the process of blaming those outside ourselves, we lose any mooring to the possibility that we, each of us as individuals, might be to blame for some of this. But it is easier to blame things or those outside ourselves because it relinquishes us, me, us, of any responsibility. Personally, I blame liberals, but then that's just me. <laughs> but... In Luke 5, Peter begged Jesus to go away. Why did he beg Jesus to go away? Because he said, I am a sinful man. Peter knew his condition. He knew it was not one that was equal to Jesus. He knew something was off, and he didn't feel worthy to be in Jesus' presence. I imagine Peter wished it was different, but he knew he was a sinful man. In Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah sees a vision of God in his throne room, and Isaiah just about soils his pants when he sees this. He falls on his face and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was similar to Peter. He knew he was unworthy. He knew all the people he lived among were unworthy. He said, I live among them, and they have unclean lips, as I do. 
You almost read the tone in Isaiah's response as if he wished he could stay in God's throne room to stay with him, but he can't, which is why he falls on his face. He wants mercy from God because he cannot stay there. Incidentally, earlier Isaiah states in that section the uh, the statement that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Think about that in our moment here. Uzziah uh, was a good king. There was a lot of peace up until that moment for Isaiah. Basically, Isaiah's Biden or Trump died, and God said, hold my beer. But let's move on. Light or easy forgiveness is not light and easy because it is necessarily wrong. It is light and easy because as broken human beings, it is completely normal to want to have it without consequence. To have it offered with no strings attached. And there are no strings attached, but there are strings present. Light and easy forgiveness needs the other side of the coin, or it is incomplete. Light and easy forgiveness is only made that way because of the heavy and hard side of forgiveness. No strings are attached, but it took a powerfully sharp knife to cut them. For heavy and hard Forgiveness, this side of the coin of forgiveness that we have, difficult, we have difficulty looking at or grasping because it's, it's hard. This past week, Sarah and I had our old shed in the backyard taken apart and prepped for next month for our property regrading. We wanted to have it rebuilt once the grading is done, and we had uh, Joe Rains and Craig Morrow begin the demolition. Right now, the roof section is all in one piece, only without the metal roofing. Now, Joe, before he left, after working on it for the day, said I should get three or four guys to lift this thing as one piece in order to save future time in rebuilding the whole shed, and particularly the roof. It's a large structure that is probably made of old, heavy wood, and it's difficult to carry, which is why Joe said you need at least four people. Heavy things are hard to move. Heavy things are, by definition, difficult. Uh, by the way, I need four guys in the next couple weeks to help me move a, a roof. Uh, thank you for that. So, hard things, as we've all said or heard said, if they were easy, everyone would do it, right? Which brings me to the heaviness and forgiveness of sins. In this passage of Hebrews, we see the writer talking about two places, the heavenly tent and an earthly one, in verses 11 and 21. We see him talk about a new uh, covenant and an old or first covenant in verses 15 and 18. He then talks about two different holy places, one in heaven and one on earth, verses 24 and 25. The tent mentioned here is the tabernacle, that is the place of God while Israel was wandering and when they entered the promised land in Exodus and Joshua. It was the place where God resided to interact with the high priest. If you have taken time to read these sections about the tabernacle, how it was built, and the sacrificial structure that was enacted with it, you see how involved it was. It was complex, had lots of steps, lots of particularities, and if any one of those was off, someone probably died because of the structure. And only once a year could a high priest enter the very center of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and then only after blood was gathered from a sacrificial animal. And you can also see various and sundry sacrifices that had to occur depending on the level of severity of an infraction. People were bringing sacrifices constantly to the tabernacle. 
because of transgressions. So there was a lot of blood, blood shed around that tent. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like it would have been a fun place to be. It sounds very hard. I remember when I first moved here in, in the year, in the first year or two, Charles Olson invited people over to process some pigs they had raised. He called it the hogging. I forget how many pigs were dispatched that day. See, I use the word dispatched because the word killed is hard and harsh. But I wanted to be there because I wanted to see the process. I wanted to experience the harshness of such an event, the killing and cutting apart of a pig so that I could have pork. I had always had pork served to me in styrofoam plates wrapped in plastic ready for me to cook and eat. Now, I didn't wield a knife or a gun that day, but I did see them used multiple times. And one of my jobs was assisting the scraping of the, uh, with the scraping of hair off the skin of the dispatched pigs. I could stand there and pour hot water over the skin because it would make it easier to scrape the hair off the skin. People don't like hair on the skin of their pork products. Are you uncomfortable? I was. And good, you should be. And if you're not, you should be. And again, like the moving of our shed roof, the shedding of blood is a hard thing, and there should be some discomfort. Now let me move into the covenant talked about here in Hebrews. In verses 15 and 18, it talks about two covenants. In verse 15, the writer mentions the new covenant, saying Jesus is the mediator of it. And he also mentions the first covenant. He says this, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. First of all, do, we, do you and we know what a covenant means? I think I've talked about it before, but let me review in Genesis 15, we see the covenant of God first made uh, to Abram. In Genesis, well, that he first made it in Abraham, to Abraham in Genesis 12, but he sealed it in Genesis 15 with a visual ceremony. He asks Abraham to get five specific animals that are to be brought to God, and God has Abraham kill them and cut them in two, laying the pieces on the ground with space in between the split pieces. Then he causes Abraham to fall into a sleep nearby. After that, God appears as a hovering flaming pot, and he moves between the split sections of the bloody animal's halves. So what's going on here? A heavy and hard thing. A covenant was a sort of blood oath where two parties involved committed to do certain things for one another. And the reason there were sacrificed animals and blood involved and the walking between the split pieces is that it symbolized a difficult thing. When the two covenanters walked between the pieces, they were essentially saying by that physical act, may my life be as one of these animals if I violate the covenant between us. Notice, though, that Abraham was asleep and God was the only one that walked between the two animals, split animals. But what, if the, what is the first covenant talked about here in this section in verse 15? It began in Genesis 3 with the picking and eating of the first fruit. It is, it, is it an accident that one of the first, thing God, first things that God does with Adam and Eve after the fall is make clothes for them. Clothes made from an animal sacrificed. Animal sacrifice that continued with the Israelites. 
which is explained in the two spaces that the writer of Hebrews talks about here. These two spaces in verses 24 and 25 are also referencing the tabernacles, one here on earth and one in heaven. Notice in this whole section, again, similar hard words are used, severe words, words like purify, sacrifice. It talks about the priest entering the Holy of Holies once a year by blood, comparing Christ doing something similar. Suffering is talked about here. Dying, judgment, bearing of sins. This whole sections, section of Hebrews 9 is full of heavy and hard things, and rightly so. We are talking about the forgiveness of sins. So, what is the hard side of this forgiveness of sins? What are we really talking about? Matthew 27 says this, Then Jesus, then Pilate released, them, uh, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governors took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. John 19 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arraigned him in a poor purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And then Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is a deep meaning in John the Baptist's declaration upon seeing Jesus walking towards him in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The hard side of the forgiveness of sin is the incarnation. God choosing to become man, lowering himself to be one of us. The hard side is the blood and the cross. We have no, one, no idea except only what we can imagine it was like, and imagine it we must, or we begin to take it for granted, and we lose the real value of the entire coin that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And that is where the connection is between the sides of this coin, the easy and the hard side. The easy side is our desire, our legitimate, our, our understandable desire to want to be forgiven, to want to be accepted, to deal with the fact that we are sinful people of unclean lips. And that can only be done by the work of Christ. He, only, the, he was the only one capable of doing that work. Any one of us would have failed and we would have been lost to our condition, unable to ever be forgiven or accepted. The comparison is stark. The easy side of forgiveness is only easy because the hard work of someone carrying the consequences of the need for forgiveness. You think about images of our current age of this giving forgiveness and the hard side of it. I thought of the shooting that happened at Emmanuel AME Church in 2015. Family event members of, and some of, the victim, of some of the victims forgave Dylan Roof for what he did that day. They even did it within 48 hours of that tragedy. I thought of that Amish school back in 2005 where five young girls were killed by that guy. The Amish community responded to the shooter's family with forgiveness. And I think of this initial story that I read of Corey Tenboom facing a former Nazi guard during her and her sister's internment 
leading to her beloved sister's death, and she forgave. These are all tragic, hard experiences, probably even harder to extend forgiveness. Someone had to bear that weight of those tragedies. All three of these examples have a connection to Christ. Why? Because these ones who forgave are simply following the hard path that Christ himself did for us. He bore the weight of the heavy weight of sin to be able to extend forgiveness to us. On the cross he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. One last observation about the forgiveness of sins that is related especially to Jesus before I talk about some applications. I recently relearned that, uh, this particular point while doing the C.S. Lewis class that we've been doing on Sunday evenings. One of the unique things that Jesus does in his earthly lifetime while doing ministry is forgive sins. Now, you may not think it is a big deal to forgive sins, but when Jesus did it, it was a big deal. Why is that? He wasn't just forgiving people of the sins they did to him. He was forgiving the sins of people that they were doing to other people. Let me give you an example. Suppose for a moment, uh, uh, in a moment of undone craziness, Buzzy steals money from Fred. Now that is wrong. That is a sin. And, in, and of course, in the, in, in the course of events, Buzzy asks forgiveness and Fred extends it. So forgiveness happens between them. But then suppose in between Buzzy approaching Fred as he goes to ask forgiveness, he meets me and I say to Buzzy, I forgive your sin, Buzzy. That's what Jesus was doing with people while he ministered to them. He was, getting, he was basically saying, You're, Fred's not just forgiving Buzzy, I am forgiving you as well. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus forgive sins of other people? This is why when he did that, you see in the accounts of the Jewish leadership asking him, why are you forgiving sins? Only God can do that. At one point, they even picked up stones to stone him to death because by forgiving someone's sins, he is claiming to be God. And that's exactly the point. As Lewis summarized in this section of his famous quote about who Jesus was, uh, he wrote in Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So how do we apply this forgiveness of sins to our lives right now? First, remember the connection between the easy and the hard forms. Yes, it seems easy for us to accept forgiveness and by faith trust Christ. But remember, in that same moment that we make that, we exercise that acceptance, that it was not an easy thing that brought that gift to you and me. It's why we call it grace, an undeserved gift. We don't deserve forgiveness, but we are given it nonetheless. Second, 
think about this list of beliefs we are going through and the sequence in which we state them, or in the Apostles' Creed, and where the forgiveness of sins falls. It starts with, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the source of all life and all power for us to live for Christ in the here and now. It says, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, small c. One group of followers of Christ, regardless of where we are in the world, is the invisible church, of which Hill City Church is one little local expression of that big C church. Third, we believe in the communion of saints. Buzzy preached on it last week. That in the gathering and deepening of these local communities throughout this world, Jesus truly lives on this earth through us. And we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because the communion of saints is full of imperfect individuals on a journey of sanctification. We have and will mess up. There's no doubt we'll mess up. It's why we're with Christ. And when we mess up, we need to live out that forgiveness of sins, the very act of redemption Christ accomplished on the cross. But it doesn't stop there. If it did, it would be very depressing and an endless cycle of forgiving with no hope of completion. If all we, if we put the period there and said we believe in the forgiveness of sins and said amen, we would, it would get depressing. It would get burdensome. We would be constantly forgiving sins with no completion. So that is why we also believe in the resurrection of the body. Hope of a new life coming in new bodies like the one Jesus himself resurrected into. It is a physical new heaven and earth coming. And then, of course, the ultimate hope lies in we believe in the life everlasting. We forgive now because the hope of eternal life where the fruit of Jesus' act of redemption never ends will always exist. Forgiveness forever. And that is wonderful. The last application, probably the most important for us today, I suspect in the coming years, in the coming months and years, the true strength of our belief in the forgiveness of sins will be tested. Even now, at the door is division and bitterness. And I confess, I am not immune to this. So the first test will be within, brothers and sisters. Before our divisions grow even more, we must ask ourselves, do I truly grasp the severity of the forgiveness I have been given by Christ? If so, then ask yourself again another question. Am I willing to extend that to my brothers and sisters here and now, immediately around me? Think about our situation right now, brothers and sisters. Are we willing to forgive our brothers and sisters in our church? If there is any hesitation in your mind and heart, then you need to pray. I don't say this because I think you're wrong. I say this because you need to commune with God in prayer over this. You need to go deeper in and higher up with Him, ever with His Word by your side, and let Him address any hesitations to forgive your brothers and sisters. And take this same question and apply it to those who are in the Big C Church outside our immediate community. I imagine there is a lot of bitterness right now. I've read it over and over again against the Big C Church right now and those who say they are part of it and those who say they aren't. And as quick as we might be in judging, we need to be ready to forgive even faster. To be clear about this, this church, my community, you all are more important than any person who would hold the office of the presidency because the forgiveness of sins is not about who's president. It's about who's king. (sighs) 
the writer of Hebrews says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We embrace the forgiveness of sins in order to live, have living, life-giving works here on earth that will last for eternity. And one of those works will be extending forgiveness. Christ did it for us. Let us do it for others. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this time uh, that we can take advantage of this technology uh, and to be wise about how we connect. Um, I pray that you would infuse my heart and soul uh, with the weight of this forgiveness of sins that you accomplished for us, that you bore, and now you extend to us to accept. I pray that you would extend this not only to me, but to my brothers and sisters here in Hill City Church and to the rest of the church here in the States and the world. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.